when I was a youth pastor in Tennessee, um, I was at this church and we had a, a parking team. And so they asked me, um, as the youth pastor, I didn't have any specific uh, job on Sunday morning, so they asked me if I would be in charge of the parking team. And I thought, well, sure. So they sent me out to the parking lot. And what I realized on the very first day that I got out to the parking lot to serve on the parking team is that we didn't actually have a parking team. And so my, the request that they were making of me was to build the parking team. Okay? And so I got up on Sunday uh, and I gave this big sales pitch about why you should join the parking team. And it must have been terrible because we had one person sign up to be on the parking team with me. And that's because, generally speaking, people don't respond to announcements. So, uh, generally speaking, people respond to personal invitations, and you've probably experienced that before. So, I do this big sales pitch, we get one person to sign up, and the guy who signed up, his name was Sonny. And Sonny was a former military man, super, like, uh, just like a man's man. And as you can tell, I'm not really, like, that kind of guy, you know? Um, But Sonny was awesome. And so we got to know each other, and we started serving every single week together in the parking lot. And eventually the team grew, but Sonny and I, uh, basically, he, he became like the leader, and we just like worked together every Sunday out in the parking lot. And what I love about Sonny, and the reason I tell you about him, is because Sonny, over the course of our time together in the parking lot, God was doing some, some crazy things in his life. And basically, um, he had been making some unwise decisions in his life, particularly in his marriage. Um, and his wife was currently separated from him. He had not prioritized his kids the way that he should have. He was struggling with work because of some addiction issues that he was having. And throughout our time together, and I had, this was not me, I was just, he was telling me about it every week. Throughout our time together, God started to do a work in his heart. And he started to get more involved in the church. He started to be part of the small group. And then he had some accountability and that community um, really supported him through some rough things. He started, as the more time that he spent around some of God's people, he realized that Jesus, and these are his words, not mine, he realized that Jesus had a grand vision for him. He realized that Jesus had a grand vision for him. And as he started to think about that vision, then he naturally began to do some things differently. And he naturally began to get more involved with church people, with the community that is the church. And so throughout our time together, um, and this doesn't happen for everybody who gets serious about Jesus, but throughout our time together, um, he and his wife actually got back together, and they just recently celebrated, like just a couple weeks ago, 25 years of marriage um, because of this experience that uh, they had basically both just getting on their knees and deciding to follow Jesus together. The reason I tell you about Sonny is because I love his story, and I love the fact that he described it as Jesus had a grand vision for him. And whenever he got a glimpse of that, he naturally began to pursue Jesus more, and he naturally began to be more connected to the community of faith that he was a part of. He got more involved with his church. Now, here's why I tell you his story. is because I think that sometimes we settle for small ambitions. We settle for small ambitions. When we think about the vision for our life, we get focused on things like, I want to build some financial security. I want to have a happy marriage and good kids. I want to have a good house and a good neighborhood. I want to see the Cardinals and Blues win a few more championships while I retire and start to travel. And like, that's pretty much like the vision. And those are all good things. 
But Jesus is inviting us into this grand vision that he has for the world. And I don't want us to miss the vision that Jesus has because we settle for small ambitions. And so my goal this morning is actually really simple. Is I want you to take steps towards the people in this room. I want you to take steps towards the church, the people. I'm not talking about getting involved in, you know, programs. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about taking steps to get involved with the people in this room. And what I want to do this morning is walk through one of my favorite passages of Scripture and show you what this vision that Jesus has for us is and why you need the church in order to pursue it. So I want to talk about what the vision is and why you need the church to pursue it. Make sense? So Philippians chapter 3 is where we're going to be. Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 7. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. We're going to read verses 7 through 11, and then we'll talk about um, them, and then we'll continue on in the passage. So Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Paul says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Verse 8, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, basically, that whatever he counted as gain, he now considers to be a loss compared to the gain of having Jesus. Now, here's why he said that. Because Paul was a very, very privileged man. He had a great education. He was from a really great, prestigious family. He was born into some wealth. He rose up through the ranks in his particular world. He had a lot going for him before Jesus. But then when he met Jesus, in order to have Jesus, in order to follow Jesus, it was going to require that he lose all of that stuff. And he said, I did it with joy. Why? Because it was so much more valuable to have Jesus than to have all of the other things. And why was it more valuable to have Jesus? Well, he says, because this in Jesus is a righteousness that's not of my own, but that comes through him. In other words, he says, when I think about what matters most in life, on the earth, there's all kinds of stuff. Money and success and family and having a cool job and 
you know, having a nice home and all this stuff. On the earth, that stuff is what's important. But someday, I'm going to die and that stuff's going to be lost. Anyway, that's right. And so someday that stuff's all going to be lost. So what could I cling to that would help me forever? And he says, Jesus is the thing that I could cling to that would help me forever. Jesus is the thing that doesn't just endure for my life or for a season or for a chapter or for a period of my life, but Jesus is the thing that will endure forever, that will enable me to to have something valuable that lasts. And so he says, that's the reason that Jesus is the most valuable thing. So it required him to lose some stuff, but what he gained was far more valuable. And then he says in verse 10 and 11, here's the reason for all this. That I may know him. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain resurrection from the dead. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, because I realized how valuable Jesus is, my goal in life now is to know him. Is to know him. I don't just want to have Jesus in my life, but I want to explore the depths of Jesus because he's the most valuable thing. And the word that he uses for know here is a personal word. It's not a word that just means to know about. It's a word that means to experience. So, for example, I know a lot about Peyton Manning. I probably know more about Peyton Manning than anybody in the room, and I'd be willing to challenge you on that in the lobby afterwards if you think so. So, I know a lot about Peyton Manning, okay? But in another sense, I don't really know him at all because we've never met uh, and we've never shared any experience together, right? And you maybe are like that with some celebrity where you know a lot about this person and yet you don't actually know them. You don't know what it's like to go get tacos with them on a Friday, you know? You don't know what it's like to go camping with them. You don't know what it's like to be in the kitchen and have to, you know, unload the dishwasher with them. You don't know what they're like then. You don't really know them. And Paul says that he wants to know Jesus personally. So what does that mean? How do you get to know somebody? Well, you don't just learn about them, right? I can read a lot about Peyton Manning. I have. I've watched all kinds of documentaries. I mean, I know a lot about him. But the only way you really get to know someone is you share experiences with them, right? And so Paul says, I want to know Jesus. What does that mean? It means I want to share in his experience. And that's why he says that I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to share in his sufferings. I want to become like him in his death so that I can experience the resurrection. What is he saying? He's saying, I want to walk the path of Jesus. The way that I'm going to get to know Jesus is I have to experience Jesus. I have to do things with him. Well, what does Jesus do? What was Jesus's path? What was the path of Jesus? If I'm going to get to know Jesus, I need to follow his path. And so I made this last night um, because I thought it might be helpful. This is Jesus's path, okay? Jesus's path is a path of suffering and then glory. 
And those two things meet at the cross. Jesus' path is a path of suffering. Why is Jesus' path a path of suffering? Because he left heaven and he came to earth. That was not a promotion. It was not a promotion. It was a demotion. That's right. So he leaves heaven. He comes to earth. He doesn't come to a really well-off family. Instead, he comes to a poor family. He doesn't live in the best neighborhood in the capital of Jerusalem. He doesn't live off on the coast in Caesarea. No, instead he lives in Nazareth. People, when they found out that he claimed to be from God, they were like, he can't be, he's from Nazareth. Nothing good comes from Nazareth. It's like Arnold, you know? I don't know. It's like, nothing good comes from there. Like, that can't be. He can't be, right? So he, he's constantly walking this path of suffering where he's, he's denying himself. He's denying himself consistently. He, d- he constantly does the needs, for, fulfills the needs of others at the expense of himself. He constantly obeys his father. And he does this. He continues to give and give and give and give and give until he gives his life by going to the cross And then at the cross, because he was obedient, Philippians chapter 2, we read this at the beginning of the service, because he was obedient even to the point of death, for this reason God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus' path is a path of suffering where he's denying himself, but then it's also this path of glory. It's suffering followed by glory. He lost some things only to gain far more. And so Paul says, I want to know Jesus. So what will that require of me? If I'm going to know Jesus, what will it require? I've got to walk his path. I've got to do things the way that Jesus did them. I've got to share experiences with Jesus. So what does that mean? I've got to be conformed to his death so that I can share in his resurrection. I've got to embrace the suffering that comes from following Jesus so that I can experience the glory of being with Jesus. And this is why Paul says, whatever was a gain to me, I have counted a loss. Do you know why? Because that's what Jesus did. Do you know what was a gain to Jesus? Being in heaven with his Father and the Spirit, creating the world, that was all a gain to Jesus. Jesus emptied himself by becoming the form of a man. So what was a gain to Jesus? He counted as loss to come and save us in obedience to his father. Paul says, if I'm going to follow Jesus, then what does that mean? It means I've got to embrace that same attitude. I've got to embrace this path of suffering followed by glory. This is why Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, if you want to be my follower, here's what you got to do. Take up your cross. Take up your cross. It's embracing this path of suffering. What does it mean to be conformed to his death? What does it mean to take up your cross? Two things. One, it means killing your sinful desires. It means killing your sinful desires. That's what it means to take up your cross. That's what it means to walk this path of suffering. Listen, it is far easier to gratify yourself That is so much easier than denying yourself. 
The path of Jesus is the path of killing your sinful desires. You take up your cross by saying no to your flesh. The grace of God has appeared, offering salvation to all people, instructing us to deny our worldly lusts. Titus chapter 2, 11 says. So that's the first thing that it means to take up your cross is to kill your sinful desires. Here's the second thing. It means to carry the burdens of others. To carry the burdens of others. There will be times, if you're going to follow Jesus, where you hear about something that somebody else is going through. And in order for you to follow Jesus, you're going to have to inconvenience yourself for them. Bearing one another's burdens we, we talk about that like it's this romantic thing, like we're just going to bear burdens for one another. <laughs> Bearing a burden is not fun. Amen. It's the path of suffering. So why in the world would you do that? Well, why did Jesus do it? Because for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Hebrews chapter 12 says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So Jesus embraced the cross. He embraced this path of suffering because of the joy that was before him. And Paul says, I want to know Jesus. And so what does that mean? It means I've got to do the same. I've got to embrace this path of, of taking up the cross, killing my sinful desires, and carrying the burdens of others so that I can share in this glory. It's kind of like this. Um, I have a good friend named Bo, um, and Bo was telling me about this book that he was reading, and he's a super thoughtful guy and just a really godly man, and um, he was telling me about this book where the author is talking about how he would give his life for his family. Like, he would be dead on the floor before he would let something happen to his wife and his kids. He would give his life for them. But his wife wants the whole family to get new hypoallergenic pillows. And he already likes his pillow. And the hypoallergenic pillow, I don't really understand it, but basically it's supposed to help you with allergies or something. I don't know. If you know about it, you can tell me about it. But um, So the wife, she wa his wife wants to get the, the, the whole family new pillows. And he's like, you know, but I already like my pillow though. Um, and so what he says in the book is, you know, I'd be dead on the floor before I'd let something happen to my family. But most of the time, I don't have to give my life. Most of the time, I just have to give my pillow. Most of the time, I don't have to give my life. Most of the time, I just have to give my pillow. And listen, that is the path of Jesus. It's being willing to say no to myself for the sake of someone else. That's the path of Jesus. Paul says, I want to know him, so I've got to walk in his ways. He goes on, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. That should be encouraging to us. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He says, I walk this path of denying myself for the sake of glory because that's what Jesus did for me. I try to make him my own because he has made me his own. He goes on, verse 13, Brothers, 
I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize. That word could literally be translated trophy. For the prize or the trophy of the upward the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Do you see what he's saying? Do you get this picture? Can we go back to the, the picture here? He's saying, this is what he's doing. What was Jesus' path? He suffers to the cross, and then he ascends to be with the Father in glory. And he's saying, that's my path now. That's the path I'm trying to walk, where I deny myself to the point of death. I'm being conformed to his death. But I'm, as I do it, even as I pursue that downward path of suffering, I'm actually pursuing an upward call. Do you see that in verse 13 and 14? I'm pursuing the upward call of God. So, Paul is saying that following Jesus is a treacherous path with a glorious destination. Following Jesus is a treacherous path with a glorious destination. And it was never meant to be walked alone. That's why he goes on to say, verse 17. Look at verse 17. He says, brothers, Join in imitating me. Now, in the language that Paul was writing in, this is actually just one word right here. Join in imitating me is actually just one word, and it, the word means to be fellow imitators. The word is in the plural, and the idea is that we're supposed to do this thing together. So that's why the translators translate it, join you can't join by yourself. Did you know that? I guess you can if you're, you know, like, well, that's a stupid story I was going to tell. Um, in high school, we had a club that was started by one person, and they were the sole member. Um, so in that sense, I guess, yes. But in order to really join with someone, you've got to have at least one other person, right? So in order to join in Paul's trajectory, in order to follow Paul's path, which is Jesus' path, in order to do that, he says, join in imitating me. Be fellow imitators. We've got to do this together. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. He's saying, if you want to follow this path, which I hope you will, if you want to follow this path, if you want to know Jesus, then keep your eyes on some people who are doing that too. Join with some people who are doing that too. And then he tells us why this is so important. Verse 18. Here's why you've got to join to do it. Here's why it has to be done together. Verse 18. For many, for many, of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears. Walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Do you know why you've got to be intentional about finding others to pursue Jesus with? Because many are enemies of the cross of Christ. 
Do you know what it means to be an enemy of the cross of Christ? It just means to be someone who's not willing to take up the cross. What's the cross of Christ? The cross of Christ is where Jesus, it's the the climax of his suffering. It's where Jesus denies himself to the point of death in obedience to the Father because of the joy that would come from it. But many are enemies of the cross of Christ and even Christians can at times be enemies of the cross of Christ. This is why in Mark chapter 8, right after uh, right before, actually, um, Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to be my follower, you've got to take up your cross. Why does he say that? Because Peter, just before he says, you've got to take up your cross, Peter says, Jesus, you're not going to die and suffer. No, you're the Messiah. And so what does Jesus say to him? He says, get behind me, Satan. In other words, you're an enemy of the cross of Christ. If you are opposed to the idea of pursuing, of of killing your sin and carrying the burdens of others so that you can be glorified yourself. If you're opposed to that, then you're an enemy of the cross of Christ. So he says, many walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. He says, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. In other words, they're just driven by their appetites of getting more and more and more. And they glory in their shame. In other words, they're proud of the shameful things that they're pursuing. Their glory is in their shame. With minds set on earthly things. There's the summary of the enemy of the cross of Christ. An enemy of the cross of Christ is somebody whose eyes are only focused on earthly things. And on earth, this path makes no sense. But if we are pursuing the upward heavenly call of Jesus, that call goes through the cross. Verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he returns, verse 21, he will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Now, do you see how Paul wraps this all together? This is so beautiful. In verse mm, 10, He says, you see verse 10 where he says, becoming like him in his death. The word becoming right there is the word conform or transform. It's the same word that's used here in verse 21. In other words, Paul's recognizing that as we conform ourselves to his death, Jesus, when he returns, will transform our lowly, suffering body into the likeness of his glorious body. How? By the power that that God has given him from Philippians chapter 2, verse 11, 9 through 11. God has given Jesus the name that is above all names so that at his name every knee will bow. 
So he's got power over all things. And why does he have that power? Because he embraced this path of suffering. He was obedient to the point of death for this reason. God highly exalted him and gave him the name above every name and gave him all power. And what's Jesus going to do with that power? He's going to conform those who followed him into the likeness of his glorious body. Here's why this is such good news for you. Because if you follow Jesus, if you choose to follow Jesus, it's going to cost you all kinds of material stuff on earth. It's going to cost you all kinds of material stuff on earth. But the hope for you is not that you're giving up the material stuff so that you can embrace this ethereal, invisible, spiritual inheritance. The future for you is that you're going to get to know Jesus. And when he returns, you are going to get to reign with him on a new earth. This is why in Revelation chapter 3, he says, to all those conquerors, to all those who make it through this thing, I'm going to give you the right to sit on my throne. So what's Jesus going to do with this authority? He's going to share it with us. He's going to lift us up. So following Jesus, it's a treacherous path, the glorious destination. It was never meant to be walked alone. The church is a community following Jesus. We walk the treacherous path together as we pursue the glorious destination. That's what the church is. Now listen. That is hard. And just by doing it with other people, that actually makes it harder a lot of times, doesn't it? Because you get to know these people who are difficult. They have different ideas than you. They do things differently than you. And even that is experiencing Jesus. Even that is walking the path of Jesus. But here's the deal. We don't do it alone. Even as a community, we don't do it alone. Instead, we walk it with Jesus. And the Spirit of God is with us to empower us to do this. And when you fail and when there are times where you put yourself first, when there are times where you don't take up the cross, when you're an enemy of the cross of Christ, Jesus died for his enemies. While we were still his enemies, Christ died for us. That's how God demonstrates his love for us. So if there are times already where you're thinking about your life and you're like, I haven't been doing this. I've been the most selfish little, you know. If there are times where you're feeling that, listen, you do not have to crucify yourself. Jesus was crucified for you. And he humbly and graciously invites you to follow him. So, as we wrap this up, I just want to answer two questions real quick. This is fast, I promise. 
First, how does a community of people help you follow Jesus? Well, first they can remind you of the gospel. And I hope that we are a community that reminds each other of what's true about us in Jesus. They can remind us of the gospel. Here's what that means. It means that whenever we sin, whenever we mess up, that there's somebody there to encourage you to not live in your sin, but to look to the cross. That's how people can help you. When I was in college, um, my friend Matt used to beat myself up all the time about this stuff, and he still does this to this day, but it started in college. I would beat myself up because I'm kind of a perfectionist, and I am super critical of myself and others, and it's not a great thing. I'm trying to get over it but, and grow in it, but um, I would be super critical of myself. I would just be tearing myself up. And my friend Matt would come along and say, hey, but remember the cross. Remember the cross. And we need people who will do that for us. Listen, there might be an area of your life right now where you feel like a total failure. You have messed up. You're not doing a good job. And it doesn't feel like on your own you're going to be able to fix it. Listen, the invitation is not to fix it. The invitation is to look to Jesus who died for you. So, Friends can help us follow Jesus because they can remind us of the gospel. They can also remind us of the gospel whenever we're in our successes, too. Because when you're successful, you know, sometimes you can get a big head and you can think that you, you know, hung the moon or whatever your illustration, your, you know, metaphor is. Um, And the gospel reminds us that, no, actually even though you're awesome compared to like, you know, you succeeded at this thing. The gospel reminds us that, but you're still a broken sinner who needs Jesus and he died for you. And you can only boast in him. And to really know him and to really follow him, you have to do what Paul did, who had all kinds of successes, and yet he had to consider them a loss compared to knowing Jesus. It doesn't mean you still don't pursue success. It means that you don't base your self-worth on your success but you boast only in Christ. You have your self-worth only from Jesus. A community of people can help you follow Jesus because they can encourage you to keep going and carry your burdens. They can also help you see parts of God's personality that you can't see by yourself. Did you know that God loves to be around people? He's three. Like in his being, he's with people. And he's also one. So he gets alone time. So some of you are super extroverted. That is part of the image of God. Some of you are super introverted. You like to have time alone. That's also part of the image of God. Being with other people helps you see other parts of God's personality. God is super creative and he's also super organized. So when you're with people who are different in a community like this, it helps you see other parts of God's personality. Listen, now that we have come together as one, we've got all kinds of differences. All kinds. And do you know what happens generally when people are different? When they get together, they disagree with stuff. That's what happens. That's totally normal. But listen, we have an opportunity to embrace the differences and to model God's personality 
by being one in the midst of our differences, by having unity amongst our diversity. Do you know that wasn't a Roman idea or an American idea or a pluribus unum was not like the first time somebody thought of that. That exists, that idea of different people coming together as one, that exists because God exists. And so we get to model that in community when we follow Jesus together. And we have an amazing opportunity to do that as a church right now. So that's the first question, is how can a community of people help you follow Jesus? Those are some ways. And how can you become part of this kind of community? I was going to walk through some stuff, but I'm just going to skip that, and I'm just going to extend this one little thing. Over the next two weeks, over the next two weeks, and the reason I say two weeks is because some of you are hyper planners and you've already got this week booked, right? And so I understand. But over the next two weeks, okay, before you leave today, find somebody that you don't know, exchange information, and then in the next two weeks, set up some kind of time to get together. It can be coffee, it can be dinner, it can be uh, a phone call. You can meet here, you can meet anywhere. It doesn't matter. You're smart, you can figure it out. But that's the, the one step today is to exchange information with somebody and then in the next two weeks, get something on the calendar. Can we do that, you think? Now, or again, it's like, I got a bunch of stuff. I understand. I understand. But we want to be a community that follows Jesus together and you can't do something together if you don't know each other. Following Jesus. It's a treacherous path with a glorious destination. We weren't meant to do it alone. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for sending your son. Thank you that he did endure the cross for us. Thank you for raising him from the dead. God, I ask that your spirit now would be active. God, if there are people in the room this morning who do not know you, God, would they humble their hearts right now? Would they soften their hearts? Would they repent of their sin? And would they come and trust in Jesus for life? God, we're not saved because we walk this path. We're saved because you walked the path. God, I ask that you, through your spirit, would give us the power to walk it, to follow in your footsteps. I pray that we would be a community who does that. And I pray that, that the people in St. Louis and people around the world would come to know you and follow your ways because this little group here in Maplewood chose to be obedient and follow you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.